Are you ready for round four of Fight Club? Come on, come on, come on. It's getting real now. I'll tell you, if it hasn't been real yet, <laughs> it's getting real now. Um, I have been, uh, I've been enjoying uh, this series, not so much for the fact that, you know, um, we got to preach some of these things, but for the responses that we've been receiving. Uh, I know when somebody comes with questions after a service that uh, they're processing the message content at a level that's, that's needed. Uh, when, it, when it confronts something or when it affirms something and you want to make sure about that or when something wasn't fully understood, you know, and you come and you say, hey, but what about that? Or, and so I just want you to know that I am super approachable. Um, you know, I'm super uh, willing to chat and talk through things. If you feel, man, you didn't understand something or uh, you want to you wanna, uh, query something, hey, just come and let, let's talk. Let's study the scriptures together and let's find the life that God meant for us to find in it. That's our only hope here is that the word of God will set people free. Um, and so in the last three rounds that we've been doing, we've been speaking about just the battle that Christians face. And number one, that there's a spiritual battle out there that is fought by real uh, spiritual beings. That is not to be glorified, not to be, um, you know, sense, um, uh, sens- uh, sensationalized um, either, uh, but they ought to be recognized if we are to combat them successfully in our lives. And, and how that battle really plays out in our minds are the thoughts and the considerations and things that we are bombarded with, the options, and, but also the lies and the accusations that you and I have to battle as Christians that bring shame and condemnation on us and guilt on us uh, after we've been set free by Jesus and, and, and how we go about just getting those things out of our lives and, and recovering from the battle that we've been in. Sometimes we just get battle-weary. Sometimes we've just been through a lot and we've, we've gotten a number of blows and it's, 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 it's time to just go into the, you know, the, is it called the infirmary or the, you know, the sick, sick bed, sick room and, and just get some healing. And so part of that healing process we saw was to recognize where we have come in agreement with lies. Something happened or you did something, but the devil took opportunity in it and it made you believe certain things about you, about the situation that weren't in line with the truth. Those things became strongholds in your life that now control you and prevent you from living your life in the victory that Jesus has for you. And so people struggle with all sorts of mental battles that they can't seem to break through even though they pray about it. Well, they won't break until you break your agreement with the lie that caused that stronghold in the first place. That influence in your life won't relent until you actually come in agreement with God's word in that issue that then sets you free. The truth shall set you free. And so keep identifying those lies. Keep renouncing them, um, repenting from believing in them, renouncing them. That means break your agreement with them and keep replacing them with the truth of God's word. And as you do that, you'll start seeing health come back to you. You start recognizing your own identity as righteous, holy, cleansed uh, by God, sanctified by God, justified by God, justified, never sinned. That leaves you with no condemnation, shame or guilt anymore to have to deal with. It's been dealt with. It's done in the name of Jesus if you are in Christ. But now what comes next is that the battle don't just stop. 
it comes again. And this battle continues. And you and I have to get front-footed. Yes, we're coming back into a place of maybe dealing with some issues and getting a little bit stronger. But the battle is not going to stop just because you need a timeout. No, it won't. It continues. And so we have to become front-footed. And we need to approach this thing on a more proactive kind of way. And that's, I think, the shift that we're making in the series right in the series uh, now. Today's message is called Choose Your Weapon. And I want to show you three different weapons that we fight with and how we use them to fight. Now, um, how many of you know um, any good fighting movie, you know, where there's a master and there's a protege or a student uh, starts off with a student, you know, living a kind of rough life, you know, and then he meets the master and then the master says to him, I will teach you. And then, you know, the, 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 the student goes like, that is awesome, master. Teach me how to punch. And then the master says, no, you cannot punch yet. You need to learn how to wax on and wax off. And then, and then the student's like, what? And then he goes, see those cars? Or you see that wall? Or I can't even remember what the new karate kid was like. The, what, what did he need to clean? Paint or something. And then he does that like, the last, the first three weeks was waxing on, waxing off, okay? So let me just say this. If you haven't listened to them, you don't have the muscle to do the punching yet. You need to go and get the muscle, all right? So go listen to those first three weeks and get yourself some muscle so that you can start wielding some weapons with us here today. But anyways, you're going to be issued a weapon anyways, all right? So how many of you got your little, little leaflet there? But, uh, just wave them at me. Let me see. Who didn't get one? All right. All right. If you want one or not, you can take one. Um, you must take one today because I want to feel like I gave each one. Every, what you do with it you're after, that's your choice. But please take it out of the building. Um, <laughs> uh, so so th- today we're moving into, okay, now I need to learn how to throw some punches. How many of you are ready to go pick a fight? One of the pickets, one of the, one of, one of the, one of the, ni- the coolest scenes for me, and I, it's not that elaborate or glamorous, but in the Braveheart movie, is when he tells the guys, I'm going to pick a fight. <laughs> and so we're about to start picking a fight because this is where we start advancing again. This is not just taking back lost ground, this is taken more ground. This puts us in the front. This puts us moving forward, advancing into the kingdom of darkness and taking not just back for our own lives, but helping other people take back what the enemy has stolen, helping our community start taking back what the enemy has stolen. And so I'm just going to preface this by saying, it's probably going to get real quiet in here again today, like the previous three, but it won't be as confronting as the previous three. Because, but what I want you to see here is that if you will, I'm going to end with what Jesus did, how Jesus, if you will just see this as how Jesus lived, how he, uh, how he operated, and, 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 <clears throat> and just give me a chance to, to convince you to start living your life this way. You'll start seeing different outcomes in your life as a Christian. How many of you have been praying for things to happen and it hasn't changed? Well, this series addresses many of those things because we don't understand the reality of the spiritual world and the physical world and how agreements are made. And the fact that these agreements that gets made are legal contracts that can't just be wished away. They need to be dealt with and broken. And a contract on earth, the, the contract's um, demands need to be met before the contract can dissolve, right? 
And the same with, with all, there needs to be grounds for canceling the contract before the contract can end. So we've been speaking about these things, but they are so real. And if you learn how to live your life by making less and less contracts with the wrong entities, what you end up having is a lot more momentum, a lot less chain, a lot less baggage that wears you down and prevents you from having an intimate relationship with Jesus and prevents you from walking in the true identity and authority that you have. Okay, so that's why I want you to get this. That's why I want to issue you this weapon. So I'm going to show you how to wield this weapon called prayer and declaration slash confession. But I know in this environment, confession means I'm saying sorry for my sin. So um, it really needs to be a declaration because what I'm doing is I'm confessing the truth of God's word concerning me. And confessing means basically this. I admit that this is true of me. And so it's not confession in the negative sense. It's confession in the sense that I am almost, I'm agreeing with what the word says here about me. So I don't know if you've read Revelation 12 verse 11 before, but it says this, and they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they loved not their lives even unto death. And we want to talk about those three aspects during the next three weeks and show you how the blood of the lamb works. Because how many of you've heard somebody pray, Lord, I plead the blood, I plead the blood and not have a clue what that is about. How many of you've heard somebody plead the blood? All right. Did you know what that was about? Just thought it was like this, 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 this magic prayer that if you pray the blood, then all of a sudden magic happens, right? No, we're going to talk about what it means to plead the blood and what those people mean. Now, they might have a true revelation of that, but if you don't, don't be pleading the blood until you have the revelation of what that means, okay? Um, it is powerful, but it has to be done right. It's the same as the armor of God. How many of you have woken up in the morning and said, Lord, I put on the armor of God. I put on my helmet of salvation and I put on my breastplate of righteousness and I put on my, 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 my belt of truth and I put on my shield of, ho- of faith and, and my, my shoes and I take up the sword of the Spirit. How many of you have done that and thought that because you prayed that prayer, now you can walk out and you'll be safe with, with the enemy? How many of you have done that? I've done that plenty of times. Okay, I grew up like that. This is what you do. If you want to be safe, if you want to don't, don't succumb to temptation, if you don't want to let the devil get you there, you need to pray that prayer. If you haven't prayed that prayer, you didn't put on the armor of God yet. It's the same thing. The power does not lie in praying about the armor. The power lies in the revelation that, that what is the armor? The armor of God is not the prayer. The armor of God is the revelation of who, is, who Christ Jesus is and who I am in him and the words of God that apply to me, that applies to my salvation. I have been set free. I've been justified. No thought that comes into my mind that challenges that thought and makes me feel guilty or shamed or condemned again has place in my mind because no, I have been made righteous. It's just if I've never sinned. There's no condemnation or in Christ Jesus. Every single one of those word thoughts that I harbor, that I um, you know, uh, uh, cover in my mind, that I, that I hold in my mind, that is the helmet of salvation. It's not saying I put on the helmet of salvation. It's knowing what is salvation about and what's the effect of salvation on my experience of righteousness. That is what the helmet of salvation is. And so we need to understand what all these symbols meaning, what they refer to before they become impactful, before they work for us. And so that's my, 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 my attempt here today is to, is to show us how to really use prayer and declaration as this weapon that we can wield to take back Uh, territory from the enemy all right so are you all ready it's time for round four 
Here we go. So to understand prayer and declaration, we really need to understand well the significance of pow- and power of words. Everybody say words. All right. How many of you know that that song that says sticks and stones can break my bones, but words do not harm me is just stupid? How many of you have been hurt by words? Hello. Probably everybody. How many of you have been blessed by words? All right. Words carry significance and they do carry power. And probably the most hurtful thing that a person can do sometimes is contained in words to us. But let me show you how words was, where, 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 where the power of word comes from. And it comes from um, how God created the universe. You know that God used words to speak creation into existence. And the Bible says he is still upholding excuse me, the universe by the word of his power. All right, so God uses words to affect literally everything. John 1 verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. It was the word of God. Now we understand that this is a a double meaning, that there is the word, which is the person, the word, the pre-incarnate Christ who was with God, but literally it was through God's word. In other words, if you can have a picture, God gave the command, the assignment. Jesus was the one that was carrying the information of the assignment to earth. And then the Holy Spirit was the actual workforce that picked up matter and made it into something different. And so if you want to understand it like that, the word, it was through the word that was released onto earth that the Godhead in the Trinity created. Now, in, a, in Genesis 1, we, we read this creation account. And uh, every, every, every part of the creation account up to before God creates man is preceded by these words. And God said, God released words. And the words would sound something like, let there be light. And then light was. And it said, let water and earth um, divide and, and there be a boundary. And then that would happen. And he would say, let there be a light in the sky for the night and a light in the sky for the day. And then those things would come into place. Every single time he simply said, and God said, and then there was a result. Before he creates man, the pattern changes. And it's important to note that. Before he changes man, this is what he said. And God said, and then he reveals a conversation within the Godhead. He said, let us, first and foremost, referring to the fact that God is a united being. He is three in one, father or or origin originator, word, and spirit, which later is revealed to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, But in this moment, it's, the, it's God the author, God the creator, the almighty God, the word of God, and the spirit of God. Let us make man in our own image after our likeness. He releases that word, and then he says, This is how this kind of man will operate on earth. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the the air, um, the heavens, and over the livestock, and all uh, over all the earth, and over every creeping, creeping thing. I almost said creepy thing um, that that creeps on the earth. And then he says in twenty-seven, so it happened. 
God created man in his own image, male and female. Let me tell you this. You don't need to try and be nothing other than what you are because you are created in the image of God with intrinsic value, beauty, and worth. Male and female. He views us equally valuable. But God creates as a result of, of this progression. Look at this happening. God Wait, let me, let me say something first. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that one second. Between verse 26 and 27 happens something that's really important. How many of you know sometimes you have to read between the lines? All right, this is a very important between the liner. All right. In 26, he says, let us make man. In 27, man is made. What happened in between? This big word. This is a big word. It's called agreement. There was Agreement. There was agreement between the one who released the word, the word, and the spirit of God. And that was why what was made came into existence. It's the pattern that he started. And so in verse 28, it's revealed that this man that gets created is to be the head, the federal authority over earth and um, over all living things on earth. Um, And this is the progression. God releases a word. It is met with agreement and it results in life and goodness is released on the earth. Remember this, word released, agreement, it results in life that releases good. In Genesis 3, we see man break agreement with God. Satan comes and he gives man these words. It says, you can become like God if you eat from this tree. We want to talk about what all went on in there. But the fact is that just as God released a word, it was met with agreement. It resulted in life that released God's goodness over the earth. Man did some good there for a minute. (laughs) Satan then releases a word. And guess what? Mankind comes in agreement with it. And what is the result? It's death. And evil gets released over the earth. And man as the federal head, the authority appointed by God through, through just the fact of his own decision. It was just his agreement. This is how we will create man. We will create them like us. We are able to make decisions. We are able to come to agreements and we are able to break agreements. We have our own free will. That is how we know that God was created like a man was created like God because God revealed to us the context within which he created man was that of agreement. It was conversation and agreement where three wills willed and it produced an offspring. The same we have to come in agreement with God's word if it is to produce God's outcomes in our lives. But we see man do the exact opposite here. No, he comes in agreement with a word that was released by the enemy. And guess what gets released? The enemy's will on earth. And let me tell you that this pattern keeps happening over and over and over in our lives. God tells us how he wants us to live. The enemy gives us a different option. Guess what you agree with? Look at the outcome of your life and ask yourself, what have I been agreeing with? Because if you had been agreeing with God's word, there would have been life and goodness. 
And so if you take your life and you divide it up in sections and you look at every single part of your life, you'll agree, you'll see some places I agreed with God and I see his blessing, I see his life. In other places, I see destruction. And you can already go and look and easily see, oh man, I never did this according to God's way. I did this my way. I try to do my own. I, I listen to the enemy. I listen to a lie that I was sold by the enemy. So skipping so much, jumping into the Old New Testament, God in his mercy releases another word. Listen to John 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only uh, son from the father, full of grace and truth. God says, nothing is, nothing is going to happen unless I release another word. And so he releases his word, becomes flesh in Jesus Christ. And guess what happens to you when you come into agreement with the Son of God, with the word of God that became flesh? What does it produce in you? New life. New life. It's not just any life, though. Listen to this. It is the eternal word became flesh. What does the eternal word produce when you come into agreement with it? It produces, say it, eternal life. Eternal word produces eternal life. But you have to come in agreement with it. And because the word of God was and is and is to come, we can be in the present and experience the, the power of the eternal life, we can experience the kingdom of God's realities in the here and now already because the word is not one day when we get to heaven. He is now. And so as you and I come into agreement with more and more of his word, more and more life is generated in our lives. The word comes and what does he reveal to us? Grace and truth. Grace and truth. And as you come in agreement with him by accepting, that, accepting his declarations of himself, there is no way unto the Father except through me. You come in agreement with that. I agree. Yes, Jesus, there is no way unto the Father except through you. I agree with that. I put my trust in that. I bank on that. Paul says you are born again into newness of life. And all of a sudden, a new, whole new opportunity opens up for you where you are freed from the bondage of the enemy to not be able to agree with every aspect of God's word because of sin, because of, because of strongholds. You have the power now to break those things. And because your will is now aligned with him in the most fundamental way, every other aspect of your will can also start aligning with him. And every time you align with his will, life is produced. Every single time. That's why the Bible says in, uh, in John 8.32 that you will know the truth and it will set you free. It's not just understanding it. It's actually coming into agreement with it that carries the power. 1 Corinthians 15 says, For as by one man death came, by a man also comes the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Now, that verse in Revelation says, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. So what does the blood, the word, and prayer, and how does this all fit together? See, the blood represents something. And when believed, 
it causes something again in our lives. The first thing that is caused is that we are made righteous. We are made righteous because of what the blood achieved for us, the price it paid for us, it bought our guilt so that we don't have to pay our guilt, which is death and eternal separation from God and hell. No, it bought all that. So now we have been made right with God. We have been welcomed into His presence. We stand in right standing. And therefore, we have the right, according to John 1, verse 12 and 13, to be called children of God. I can view myself now as a child of God. How many of you have said this before? I'm just a sinner. All right, now, here, I want to say the Word of God is giving you the permission to stop saying that. I know that you still sin. I do too. But the word of God gives you permission to view yourself fundamentally different now. You are given the right to be called children of God. Go read it. John 1 verse 12 and 13. Because you weren't born by the will of a man, but you were born by the will of God. He wills it. And so now you can view yourself it. Look, if you view yourself as a child of God, all of a sudden things start changing in your perspective. You're no longer doing things out of a sense of duty or obligation. You do it from desire and delight because you have this amazing relationship with this amazing God. You don't do, you don't, you don't, you don't, you're not, um, you know, uh, moaning and groaning because you can't do sin anymore. No. You feel no desire for sin anymore. And when you do, you know that it's a relic from your past life. It's a false identity that's trying to talk to you because you are no longer that. And you can deny it and say, look, this isn't me any longer. I am a child of God. And as a child of God, I desire to do what God wants me to do. My delight, says Psalm David, David says David in his psalm, is in the law of the Lord. I could never understand that. I could never understand. I read that song and I'm like, David, you were just, you know, you had one up on me there, man. I could just never delight in the law of the Lord. Because I, I always would go and as a young boy, um, 12 years old, gave my life to Jesus, went back to school, and it was hard. Because I knew I shouldn't do things that I wanted still to do. I wish I could go out and party like all the other boys. I wish I could, you know, um, you know just goof off in relationship like all, like all the other boys. And I didn't understand my real nature change, my identity, and I wasn't secure in that. And so I always, you know, thought, man, I, my life is so miserable, you know. I don't, I don't want to sin, but I do sin. I feel horrible about that, but I also want to sin, and I don't get to do that. So, man, I've just got it bad from every side. Until you realize, goodness, the blood makes me righteous. It changed my nature. And it makes me want to serve God, want to please God. Let me ask you this. Do you like your feeling after you've sinned? Not while you're doing it, because that's the, that's the lure. That's the cheapness of the thrill. After you did it, do you feel great about yourself? Why? Have you wondered why? It's because it's not what you are and it's not what you desire anymore. It just doesn't fulfill you anymore. Sin will never satisfy you again after you've become a Christian. The only thing that satisfies you is stepping into the presence of God. 
and giving your whole life to Him, offering every bit of your strength and energy and service to Him, there comes the greatest passion, the greatest draw, the greatest fulfillment of your life. But you have to come in agreement with what you have become. <laughs> Stop denying what you've become. You are now child of God. That's what you want. Give in to it. <laughs> Follow Him. That's what you want. And if you don't want that, then probably you're not born again yet. You've been serving God out of duty and religion. And you've been trying to prove to Him that you, you've done enough. I asked, another, I asked somebody the other day, look, how, if, if you die and go to heaven and Jesus says to, uh, God says to you, well, why, why, why should I let you in? What will be your response? And this is the response that I gave. And this is the response that so many people that haven't understood. Now, these men were born again, but they haven't understood the implications of that for them. The response was this, Lord, I tried my best. I gave it my best shot. I gave it all I got. And I hope that it was enough. And there that minute I had to tell them, it's not going to be enough. Your effort will never be enough. The right answer for that moment is always and will always be, Lord, I got nothing except I hoped that what Jesus did would count for me because I trusted in him. I'm sorry, Lord, that's all I got. I know I'm a sinner. And by that time, you will admit that you're a sinner. Trust me. I know I'm, I'm so far below par. But I hoped, I just hoped, maybe, the grace of God through Jesus would count for me. In that moment, the response of God is going to be all-consuming, inviting, welcoming love that says, welcome home. Welcome home. Because it was never about your effort. You have to come in agreement with the word that he released. Before that, we could not see the kingdom, but because we are now born again, we see the truth about who God, uh, who we are and God's will for us. And if we will agree progressively with more of it, more of his grace will manifest in our own life to get us to, 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 to empower us to say no to sin. And more of his truth will set us free from the things and the lies that have kept us practicing unrighteousness and practicing um, you know, uh, subservience to uh, circumstances and things that have hurt us or that challenge us. See, the blood makes me operate in my righteousness and in my faith. That is what brings the overcoming. It's not using the words, I plead the blood. It's how the blood empowers me to operate according to truth. That's what brings the overcoming. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, um, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's what he meant. It's not just quoting that scripture. I will know the truth and the truth will set me free. No, no, no. You actually have to know the truth that it's referring to for you to be set free. 
That's what it means to abide in the word. It's agreement with the word that leads to life and releases good things in our lives. Abiding in the word means to remain in agreement to it through word and deed. Through word and deed. Because James will teach us that don't be a mere listener of the word, but you have to do it. Because if you're just a listener, you're deceiving yourself. You're not abiding in the word and it won't have the effects in your life. See, we think we can trick God. The Bible says God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. Right? If you sow to your flesh, you'll reap from your flesh corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit of God, from the Spirit, you will reach, reap life. It's the same thing what we've been saying. The word agreement produces life and it releases goodness on our hearts. So talking about the significance of words. Why are words so important? Proverbs 18.20 says this, From the fruit of a man's mouth is his stomach satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Some of you might go, that's not how it works, Pastor Jay. It's like, you know, um, the guy goes like, hey, we're struggling to have children. Oh, let me pray for you. Well, that's not how it works, really. Yeah, I understand that, okay? I'm not, I'm not ignorant of, you know, natural life. I know that there has to be, you know, services rendered and, you know, uh, uh, remuneration for services, for services rendered, right? Offered, whatever the word is. But the bottom line here is that before the work starts, what initiated the work? Come on. Was it a conversation with someone? Was it an interview with someone? What is that other than words? Was it words on a contract that you signed? That was still words. Now, if you learn to line up your words with the word of God and with the truth of God, it will lead you into the right kind of work. It'll lead you into the right kind of contract, the right kind of agreements. You won't be sacrificing half your life just to, be make, you know, just to put some food on the table. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit, which means that if you're constantly using your tongue to speak things that are death over your life, you will have to enjoy the fruit of death in your life. But the same is also true. If you align yourself with the word of life, it will produce life in you and you will get to enjoy that fruit of life, right? A gentle tongue is a tree of life, it, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. A friend of mine says, you know, it's better to be quiet and be thought a fool than speak up and remove all doubt. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And then this last one, whew, this, one's the, this one's the kicker. James 1.26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, his religion is worthless. Here's how this works. So often we hear the truth. We accept the truth. We agree with the truth. We start doing the things that the truth asks us to do. But then we also hear the word of the enemy. 
And we also agree with the word of the enemy. And then we start talking the things that the enemy wants us to talk about. And we form those agreements and they release death. So on the one hand, we're expelling the enemy out of our lives. On the other way, we're inviting him back to cause more destruction. You see, Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your, your, your words, currently the, the, the sayings you say, the careless you know, uh, declarations you make, they reveal what's going on in your heart, but they also reveal previous agreements that you've made with the enemy and previous agreements that you've made with the truth. But you have to identify the ones and the words that declare where you have made agreements with the enemy. Because what they do is they, you know, the Word of God tries to, 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 to reinforce the goodness of God, the life of God. But then with your careless words, often you invite the enemy to reintroduce bondage and destruction into your life. Now, we have spoken about some careless things that we said, that we've said. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it, it's probably beneficial to just run through a couple again, because sometimes we don't realize that what we're saying, that is actually in alignment with something that's not from God, not God's will, not God's way, not God's thinking, not God's character, not God's nature. God won't say things like that, so you and I shouldn't either. I hear so many people say, oh, my luck is the worst. And I always get overlooked. I never get a chance. Spoken about anxiety. My anxiety is through the roof. I am so OCD. I must be going crazy. Man, I can, I can never keep a job. I always pick the bad apples when it comes to relationships. I hate my life. My life sucks. I never lose weight. I lose weight, but I pick it right back up again. Don't know why. I know why. It's not just because you like the donut queen. <laughs> it's because your full agreement is with the fact that you like donut queen so much you can't say no to it. I also like donut queen, but I can also say no to it. And then I can say yes to it now and then, but I can manage it. Whew. How many of you said this like, I can't, I can't do that comes about, talks about may, maybe serving in church. I can't. Taking a life group leader, starting a life group. I can't. Why would you say that? When the Bible clearly says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The option is there to be agreed with. Why take the other one? But we do. They listen. They never listen to me anyway. So it doesn't bother being... I don't, doesn't, doesn't even... Help me speaking up about anything. They won't even take my idea serious. I'll never be able to afford that. You are right. <laughs> I never have enough time to do the things I want to do. I can, I can never catch a break. Things always go wrong when it's most important that it don't. Bad luck always comes in threes. Don't say it's going well this week because you'll jinx it. Touch wood quickly. All right, now I know some of you sit here and you go like, man, this is just stupid. I'm about to leave. Just, just hold on. Before you leave, before you leave, purposefully jinx something this week and not touch wood. And see if it's really that stupid. 
I don't have to, I don't have to touch wood. I don't. I don't touch it. I'll be okay. I did touch it. Even though I said I don't have to touch it. I'll be okay this one. I'm not going to say that saying again. No. These things influence us. And because, they, because we're so careless about just saying them over and over again, the, the, the principle of hearing kicks in. Where the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, the hearing about the message about Christ, obviously referring to faith in God. It comes by you hearing that, hey, you need a Savior. Hey, you can't save yourself. Hey, your efforts, there's no such thing as scale and you're going to outweigh the good with the bad. That doesn't exist. There is absolutely no weight you can put on the weight of your sin that will ever balance it out. You need a Savior. You need somebody with a life that is weighty enough. That's the glory of God in Jesus Christ revealed in me. The weight of um, uh, Christ in me, the hope of glory. What's glorious? Weight. Boom. Weight makes me acceptable before God. You need that message before you can get saved. That message is God's grace working on the inside of you, calling you, drawing you. No one can come to the Father unless, the, uh, unless He comes to me, unless the Father calls Him. That's how you are called. You're called by the message of Christ. Faith comes by hearing the message concerning Christ. But faith in lies also come through hearing. The more you hear them, the more you hear them, the more you start saying them. Now, when you start saying them, listen, the person with the biggest authority in your life is you. If you wanted to leave right now, who's going to stop you? I'm not going to try. Because you have your full right to do that. Why? Because you're a sovereign being. You're a sovereign, um, I have to explain that quickly. You have, been, you have been created with the ability to make your own decisions. That's what it means. Right? And, and you have the right to make your own decision. And taking that right from you is violating your human right. So you start saying things to you, you start influencing you big time. Oh, I'm so stupid. Oh, I can never think straight. Oh, oh, I always come up with a, with a, with a comeback late. You know, when you're in an argument and you want to you know, say something funny or say something snappy and, like, and afterwards you're like, man, I can, oh, now I think of what to say. Ah, that always happens to me. Well, that's always going to keep happening to you until you start changing your confession. I always know what I need to say. God gives me a clear mind. But when I say something, it'll always be to build up and give grace to the hearers. How about, how's that for a confession? And so if I don't get something funny to say that maybe has been a truth spoken in jest and I'm trying to jab a little and I didn't get that and I later on think of something that I could have said, I'll go like, thank you, Jesus, that you didn't remind me of that to say in that minute because it wouldn't have communicated grace to the hearer. And now I don't feel bad about not being so snappy or so witty. I feel actually pretty grateful. Because the Bible says, with the abundance of words, sin is always present. Don't put a guard over my mouth. I'm going to probably break something. I'm going to probably do that sticks and stones things. But the word that eventually does hurt comes. See, what happens to us is James 3.10. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. And he says, but brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. It ought not to be so. Our words need to be pure. And, and, and we, need to, we need to do what, what's, what's, what's necessary to, to fight back with you know, all these agreements that we've been making, all these careless words that we've been you know, basically inviting the enemy to take a chance to try and hurt us with by doing two things. And, and, and herein lies the crux of today's message. 
Your words will either reinforce God's freedom or it will reintroduce bondage. How do I fight back? First things, you have to clean up your vocabulary. All right, clean up your vocab. Don't say things that you don't want to be true over you. Like, do you really want that to be true? No, I don't want that to be true of me. Then stop declaring it over you. Choose something that is true rather to say. You know, I need your help. I really need your help. Ever since moving to Crowley and before, considering coming to Crowley, I've heard people's declarations over this city. And let me tell you, they're not good. I've never heard anybody talk about Crowley and actually say something positive about this place. It's crazy. It's crazy. So Crowley is just this, this, you know, this, this, this place that's incapable un, of any good. And people would say things like, you know, Crowley is a difficult place. It's really a difficult place to make it, you know. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm about to take over a church in Crowley. What does that mean for me? I have to, I have to press through all those negative talk about Crowley. And, and, and in my heart, I decided every time somebody says something about Crowley that's negative, I'm going to say something about Crowley that's positive. And so when I hear Crowley is a difficult place, I say, yes, but did you know Crowley is an export city? Did y'all know we export rice to more than 50 nations from this town? Crowley is an export city. Crowley takes stuff that's good and nourishes and feeds the world. How about we start saying some of that? You know, Crowley's just a deadbeat, crime-ridden city. You know, it's not going to amount to anything. No, 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 no. Look at me. Crowley is a launch pad for multinational businesses. Come to Crowley and come start your business here because I believe, and God's going to give us the grace, you're going to succeed and you're going to export from here because that is the call of God on this city. Will you please join me in saying better things over this city? Will you please join me and declare God's purposes for this place? I need your agreement. Listen to me. How many people have prayed over this place? Plenty. Plenty, plenty, plenty of people. For generations, I've prayed over this place, right? I'll tell you what. Some of those prayers have not been answered because the agreement of the population have not changed. We cannot change the city until our agreement changes. Away from seeing this as a place that's just, you know, just, just, it's just unable to be, to, to, for nothing good to happen here, to, to start declaring, you know what? God's going to put righteousness and justice as the foundation of his throne in this city. And whatever is against that, you know, God will remove. But we need to start declaring this over this place. The spiritual world works on agreements. And until our agreement leaves the enemy's work and joins God's work, we're part of the problem. And so I'm inviting you to start seeing this place as a place for salvation, where salvation will be exported to the rest of the world. Look, we're already doing it. 
We're partnering with friends in the UK and France who is planning churches and, and sharing the gospel with kids in orphanages. We're, we're already doing it. We're already exporting God's grace from this place. But God wants us to do it in an even greater measure. But it's going to require our agreement. You know, our agreement needs not just be in our word, but it needs to be in our deed. And so for you to be here today is your agreement to let the word of God work through you once you leave here and see a different agreement take place with God's kingdom in our natural, you know, everyday lives. And that's why we have to start saying things differently, speaking differently, declare our, and the second thing we need to do is we have to start declaring our agreements with the word of God. And this is what this is for. This is what this is for. Let me show you something here. Um, you can, where's your bait? All right, y'all have it? Open it up. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. Somebody will give, get, get one to you. Open up there by fear. All right. Struggling with fear. Anything that makes you fearful, whether it's, um, you know, fear of losing your job, fear of not succeeding in the future, fear of uh, losing a relationship, fear of uh, not getting a relationship to do what it needs to do. Any fear that you have going on, you're believing certain things about that. And that's why you're saying certain things like, you know, my husband will never change. He will never change. Well, if you want that to be true, keep saying it. But if you don't, then let's try to find a different thing to say about our husbands. Let's try to find a different thing that's more aligned with God's purpose for his life to say about our wives. And remember, it all starts with me understanding who I am. I'm a member of the body of Christ and Satan has no power over me. That's John 1 verse 12 to 13 at the top there. For I have been accepted as a child of God. 1 John 4, for I am of God and I have overcome Satan. For greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I fear no evil because God is with me. His word and his spirit comforts me. I am far from oppression and fear does not come near me. See, these, these are declarations or confessions that I agree with. I admit that this is true of me. And if you want to go read the scripture reference to actually find the verse that this is based on, it's right there for you to go and see. So this is not a printout of the scripture reference. It's actually a confession that is made based on that scripture reference. But that's how you start speaking the word of God over your life. No weapon formed against me will prosper. You hear a bad tiding, you know, oh my goodness, petrol prices are going up. And you go like, oh my God, I don't know if my transportation business is going to make it. Hey, no weapon that is formed against me will prosper. No weapon that is formed against me will prosper. God is my provider. And he will send more jobs my way to make me survive. All of those sayings are things that are based on the truth. That's Philippians 4.13. He's our Jehovah Jireh. He's the God, the provider. I put in here some of the names of God. Um, where's, that for, where's that one? The names of God, right? You can pray the names of God. You can say, God, you are the creator. You're the beginning in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Lord, I know that you are the, are the beginning of everything. Your word started everything. I confess your word over my life because it will have a powerful effect. Your word is health to my bones and healing to my flesh, says Proverbs. God the Savior, thank you, Lord, that I don't have to accept any condemnation, but I know that you are my Savior. Even if I made a mistake in my business, you can still redeem me. You can still turn it out for good. 
You use the word, the names of God that describes the character of God. He's the God who sees me. Thank you, Lord, that I am not alone. I will never be alone. I will never be alone. You are always with me. Thank you, Father, that you're, um, you're the God who heals. Forget, bless the Lord on my soul. Forget not of his benefits, who pardons all our iniquities and who heals all our diseases. You use these scripture references in moments of anguish to pray the will of God and to rather come in agreement with the will of God than say things like, oh, you know what? It's just going to get worse from here. It's just going to get worse from here. I hear people say that so many times. Look, God will preserve you within it as long as you are in agreement with His will for your life here. I have friends who live in Zimbabwe who despite all of the incredible hardship that that country has gone through, God has sustained them and some God has like incredibly prospered. Why? Because they were in agreement with His declaration over their lives. One of my friends started a bank and he went on to be a multi-millionaire in U.S. dollar. In Zimbabwe, for crying out loud. Not through getting foreign investment, by the way, but by just serving the people of Zimbabwe. One of his friends and an acquaintance of mine started a mobile wireless telephone company. Went up against giant multi-billion dollar companies. Won the contract for starting... <laughs> With literally almost nothing, but by just agreeing with God's word over their lives and saying, Lord, we're going to try. We're going to try. And if we fail, we fail forward. We would have learned a whole lot. But they, 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 they started, they trusted God and they, they stopped believing the lie that our environment will suppress us and keep us in bondage. And they catapulted out of it. It's possible for each and every one of us if we put our agreement with God's word. So Jesus, when he was in the desert, the tempter came to him and said to him, look, you are, um, you're hungry. Command these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered, Listen to me. Jesus didn't contemplate. Jesus didn't meditate. Jesus didn't remember. Jesus answered. You have to start answering with your words. Now, if you feel weird about it, do it in your room when nobody's listening, but do it. Once you become used to it, you do it while driving anywhere and everywhere, and you become even more effective in breaking agreements with the enemy. Jesus answered, but he didn't just answer from his own opinion. He answered from scripture. It's amazing. The word even submits himself to the word. Can we submit to God? If we will, then we'll resist the devil and he will flee from us. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the devil gets clever. He says, well, if you're the son of God, throw yourself from the temple roof. Because it is written that he will command his angels 
concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you fight your, strike your foot against a stone. But thank God Jesus knew that it's not just living by a word of God, it's living by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the devil didn't understand the significance of the declaration that Jesus made just a verse before, because that very verse before already nullified the attack that, brought, that he brought next. And Jesus says, no, not that word. That's out of context. It's every word in context says this. You will not put the Lord your God to test. And the devil tries to, one more time, I'll give you whatever you like. Just bow your knee and serve me. Jesus said to him, just, just go. Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and, you, and only him shall you serve. Jesus didn't fight the devil with, with willpower. He fought the devil with word power, but spoken word power. Listen to me. Once your confession starts changing, once you start saying things that are in line with God's word over your life, it starts releasing life and it creates good. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19 says this as we close. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. That's Old Testament speak. <laughs> it's kind of harsh. But what it says here is, man, I have given you every single word, every single declaration you need to be able to produce my outcomes in your life. 2 Peter 1.3, you've received all things that pertain unto life and godliness. We just need to use God's word correctly. So choose your weapon today. Start taking God's words and declaring it over your reality, over your circumstances, over your failures, over your challenges, over your joys, over your family, over your relationships, over your business. Take the word of God and start speaking it by prayer and declaration over your life and you'll start seeing your life come into agreement with these words that produces life. And let us clean up our vocabulary. Let us catch ourselves. If we say something that does not line up with God's truth about us or God's desire for us, that we would rather catch it. If you said it, you said it, then say no. I don't believe what I just said is true. This is what I believe to be true. And say it. It might sound stupid. You might sound a little weird at first. But when they start seeing the outcome of your life, they're like, man, I got to have me some of that. Let's pray. Father, we just come and want to humble ourselves, Lord, by saying that we don't know how to live this life best. You do. And so, Father, we want to take your word and, and align ourselves, our hearts, desires, our, the intentions of our heart, our, our ambitions. We want to align it all with your word, Father, and come into agreement with the plan that you have for us. And as we do that, Father, and we release your word and our agreement with it, Father, we just trust you that you'll start breaking people out of patterns, out of, out of, out of generational patterns of calamity, of failure, of bondage, and people will start seeing that there is a life that you have bought that is available to them, not because they're great, not because they're good or holy, but because of your grace and because of their trust in your grace, Lord God. We thank you for this, Lord. Quicken your word in our hearts and minds that we might declare our agreement with it because we 
We love your word, Lord, and we desire to see its outcomes produced in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.